0: We'll get into the text and look this over, Ephesians chapter 6, the final uh, chapter. Have you guys enjoyed, like, Ephesians? Ephesians is a great book, isn't it? It's an amazing book, right? And so so Ephesians is going to start, and remember, this is a letter. I think it's kind of an unfortunate place that we have a chapter break um, when we do as we come into chapter 6, because I think that there's a bigger picture there. Pastor Mike last week dealt with and talked about marriage and the idea of marriage and, and the church and, and, and marriage what it actually is and what it stands for and what what representation is happening through marriage, and I think that as chapter six comes in, what we're looking at is we're looking at the family unit. I, I, I think that it should be kind of an all-encompassing kind of a thing that moves from marriage and straight on into the family, and so, so chapter six begins by telling us, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Should have probably done that before we released the kids to Children's Church, huh, right? want to live long? Simple deal, little recipe, honor your parents. The reality is, is that we all are in that spot, um, unless we've lost our parents at this point. But but even then, the idea to honor our parents, to bring honor into this picture. And so so as we kind of look at this and we explore and we, we talk about and. Uh, Again, the concept of marriage, what we have to do is is to realize is that marriage and the family is not just a random process that God threw into place because he had these people and he had to figure out how to kind of deal with them, right? God did not uh, create Adam and Eve and then go, oh, what am I gonna do with these two? Uh, Let's see, oh, I know. Let's make marriage. Let's let let's let's have marriage. No, marriage is much deeper that than that. God creates as he is, and so the institution of marriage and, and, and is is a picture of the very nature and the very character of who God is. It, it it's meant to be this this institution that is put on display for the world around us to display the nature, the character, the goodness, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness of God who gave it to us, right? And then we're given the family, we're given the family unit as the absolute cornerstone to society. And and we all know this to be true, and nobody's throwing any rocks here, but we all have been affected by this breakdown of the family. There's, there's nobody in here who hasn't been touched by that. There's none of us who don't look around in the world around us and see that as there's an attack on these, on, on these institutions that God has given us, marriage and family, that there is consequences. There are struggles within our culture that are a natural byproduct to that breakdown, because this is the organization that God has given us. You see, Del Tackett did this in the Truth Project. I thought it was just really cool. Uh, you see? When we start to look at this, and Pastor Mike dealt with this in chapter five, but, but, but this relationship that God has within himself. See, this is the picture of, of what we're supposed to put out there. You see, when, if God is love, well then prior to creation, what was the object of his love? How did you, love demands that there's an object to love. What was the object of his love? Well, the answer to that is that it was all found within himself in the relationship that God has within himself God was not in need he wasn't lacking he didn't need to express love he didn't really need to even create us because within the nature and the character of God there is no inherent need there he is he is full and overflows. There is no emptiness in God. There is no lack within the character of God. And so when we look at God and we look at this Trinity, we look at this relationship that happens within the personhood of God, we see that God is, again, represented by diversity and that diversity brought into a place of unity. And we see that there's, there's order and there's different things with this, but at the, at the top we see that there's the Father, right? And in the relationship that God has within himself, God the Father is the head of that relationship. He's he's the head there. And then the second person we would say of the Trinity is Jesus, right, the Son. And and what we see in the Garden of Gethsemane is we see that Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. And, And he's constantly saying throughout his ministry, I'm doing the things that the Father is doing. I'm saying the things that the Father is saying. You see, in this picture and in this relationship, the Son is submissive to the Father's will. And that's a beautiful thing. Culturally, we've created that to be an ugly thing. We, 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 we start to think about a word, and Pastor Mike dealt with this last time, but, but the idea with like submission, it becomes this ugly term. It's not an ugly term. It's a beautiful term that's under attack. It's something that brings harmony. It's something that, that brought us salvation was the nature of this relationship and the flow within this relationship. And so the son is submissive to the father. Uh, In one of the creeds of early Christianity, it talks about that the spirit proceeds both from the father and the son, honoring, bringing honor and glory both to the father and to the son is part of the role of the spirit. And so when we look at the nature of marriage and how it's brought together, we see that, that the husband is called to be the head in the relationship. And again, that idea of submission, the, the, the idea that the wife is to submit to the husband. And, and again, remember that there's, there, are these, there are these after qualifiers, and we're gonna see that here again, that if that's gonna be the case, there, there needs to, there's a necessity for, for there to be character displayed, for there to be integrity displayed, right? That, that with the husband there, that he's called to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? absolutely and totally sacrificially, giving himself 100% everything on her behalf, right? That he might present her back to himself as glorious and radiant and beautiful. And what happens in this relationship or the possibility through this relationship is that children come out and we have a picture of this mini little trinity in the family. And, and what, is, what is the call to the children is to honor your parents, honor both your father and your, your father and your mother. And so, so this picture, it becomes this thing. And so sometimes when we wonder, we're, we're like, well, well, why do we get so upset? Why, why, are, why are Christians upset? Why are we wrapped around the axle about things like marriage and about the family and things like that? It's, it's because we see them as being something representative of something much bigger, something much deeper, something that was given by God for us, and and it was given to bring order and harmony into our society and into the world around us. And again, it is meant to display the nature and the character of God to the world around us. It's a powerful, powerful thing. It's an amazing institution, and it's one that is totally under attack today, right? Um, Man, this thing is... Touchy. So with that, again, we see this, this thing, as, we, as it said, wives be submissive to your husbands. It, it, we're told there that, 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 the, that the husband has this whole list of stuff, right? Do this, do this, love your wife as, as Christ loved the church. And here in this picture, it says, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So if honor is something that we're after, if, if honor is the calling on the children, then there's a real necessity for the father to exercise the power that he's been given in a way that does not frustrate and embitter his children. There's, there's, there's a great power that us dads wield, and, and, and it has the, the power to either build up or to tear down. There was a story um, I heard a long time ago, and it was, it was anybody, this will date me and anybody else who agrees with this. Anybody know who Tom Landry is and Roger Staubach? Right? Dallas, Dallas, uh, Dallas Cowboys, Tom Landry was the, the, the head coach. Roger Staubach was their quarterback and it kind of in a time where they were very successful as a team. They were both Christians and, and they went to a prison and, and they were listening and talking to these guys and um, man after man after man was telling these guys about either the, the lack of relationship with their father, his, their father being absent, or their father's abusiveness towards them. And, and Roger Staubach began to cry and weep. And, and one of the guys asked him, said, did you, was, your dad, was your dad bad to you too? Did you, was your dad, did he treat you bad? And he said, no, actually, my dad told me I'd be the greatest quarterback the NFL ever saw. There's a power in this being a dad thing. There's a power in our position as fathers. We are given this to, uh, to build our children up, to, to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord and in the instruction to the Lord. And I think this is an area that dads, I think we all, I gotta get better at this. I'm just gonna confess to you guys, I gotta get better at this. I gotta dis- disciple my kids in a good way. I've gotta I've got be spending time there. And, and it's not in the discipline, we don't, have, we don't wanna have a negative connotation of it. We're not talking about a bunch of this. We're talking about discipline. We're talking about teaching them to follow Jesus, habitually to follow Jesus, not to, not to live in the ways of this world, but, but, to, but to be transformed by the renewing of their mind, to begin to live their lives for Jesus and for the high calling that he has on their lives. And so we need to instruct them and we need to show them what it looks like to be disciplined people, because to be disciplined is a key word in the idea of being a disciple, right? It has the connotation of discipline. And so that starts with us and it starts with example. And it starts with us as fathers recognizing the power and the ability that we have to either build up or tear down. I don't know about you, but I'm a 51-year-old guy today who can very much remember words that my father spoke over me when I was six years old and I quit playing football. And he called me names for about two hours, and it still cuts. So dads, we got to understand the power that we wield and what that looks like. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours in heaven, it, it, both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. See, this is a thing. As, as Americans, we're big on our rights, right? We got rights. Christianity says, hey, you find yourself in a tough circumstance, maybe just find God in that. Maybe find what he has for you. That maybe, maybe in the middle of difficult circumstances, we're just supposed to seek his face. Maybe, maybe in the midst of those circumstances, we have opportunity that we never would have understood or, or even acted on had we not shifted our perspective to start to, say, to agree with the biblical perspective that says, hey, maybe in trials, let's count it pure joy, knowing knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, so let endurance have its complete effect, that you might be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. You see, there's a good return when we don't just stand on our rights, and if we find ourselves in difficult situation, we just do it as to the Lord, not as to people. That that's this bigger picture that, that we're trying to understand. You see, as we've went through the book of Ephesians, it, it, we, 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 chapter one sh- showed us that we're saved, we're secure, we're given identity. Chapter two says that you're saved, uh, don't forget where you came from. Chapter three says he has brought his church together and he's displayed it before the heavenly powers. Chapter four says, watch your witness. Chapter five says, know why you're here and stay on task. Marriage represents Christ and his church and the very essence of who God is. And chapter six deals with the family as the cornerstone of society. Your circumstances don't control you and you are in a battle. Finally, it says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. See, we sometimes think that we need to find strength within ourselves, our own abilities, right? Or when times get hard, we, we live in America, right? You pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you, 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 the, you know, the, 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 the tough get going, and, and what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger, and different things like that. But you know, God's power is perfected in our weakness, not in our strength, right? that we're, we're told Paul was talked to, he prayed through a season and, and of, of saying, I've got this thorn in the flesh and, and God said, look, my, my grace is sufficient for you. That thorn is actually staying exactly where it's at. I'm not gonna remove that thorn from you. Why? Because that thorn reminds Paul about God's grace in his life. It reminds him that, that, that he has enough and it keeps Paul probably humble to the place that Paul just needs to. We have to give up the idea that God is about the comfort business, that his whole thing in life is just to keep try comfortable No, God is more interested in my growth than he is my comfort, and if we will do this, if we rest in his power, then the Bible says that his power is sufficient for us, that it's sufficient to carry us through through our deepest, darkest places, through our greatest trials, and to even take and flip the tables on the enemy Right? And have our deepest, darkest places be the moments of our greatest victory. And the places where the enemy is shown, God is sovereign and he is in control. And the nature of the relationship between God and his people rests not in the temporal, not in the physical, but in the eternal. And it cannot be touched. It cannot be taken out of his hand by anyone. And we get to display that when we rest in his strength. And and if we're in our strength, I don't know about you, but my strength never lasts very good. Monday, it might be all right. Tuesday, not too bad. Wednesday, it's kind of faltering. Thursday, I had a bad day. Friday, I'm out. You know, it's his strength. This is what David knew when he, when he defeated Goliath. He knew that it wasn't him who was doing it. It was, it was just the same God who had delivered him from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion was gonna deliver him as well from this giant. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Wow, I can't read any of that. (laughs) But it's a cool picture I put up there. Yeah, just look at the picture. And I'll read it to you. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So, here we go. We are gonna have to just look at this and and recognize that as Paul sums up this this picture, that, that he has saved us, that he has held on to us, that he has given us identity and purpose, that he has built his church, that he has tore down the dividing walls that were in the way, that he has now created his church on the day of Pentecost, the church now exists, and we now live in the church age, that guess what, he's gonna sum this whole thing up by saying you're in a battle. There's a war that's raging around you, that, that, that it rages in a realm that we don't even see. It, 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 it's not always in the physical realm that there is a battle that's happening and it's happening in a supernatural realm and that it's happening around us. See, C.S. Lewis, I think, had a great point. He said that there are two really wrong points to take in the supernatural and in the idea of spiritual warfare. One is that to pretend like there's a demon behind it or to, to act like there's a demon behind every bush. And then the other thing is to pretend like they don't exist. So, so the Bible lays out this idea and it makes it very clear, very clear that there's a bigger picture of what's happening over us and around us and, and that the, the, the attacks and the struggles that we see in this world um, are, are just a bigger deal than what we kind of tend to, to look at. And then it tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. See, remember that back, and I believe it was chapter uh, three. It is chapter three. It says that the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God has been displayed in the church that in the church age, as Jesus brought his church and raised it up, that he is displaying to all of the heavenly realm the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted work that God is doing in the world. And then then our marriage is supposed to do that, right? And our church is supposed to do that because our church represents the concept and the idea of marriage, right? Jesus is the groom and he's returning one day for buildings and denominations, now for people, for his bride for those who are a part of the church, and it is put on display. And we have to remember now, see, because this is where Christians, we've made big mistakes a lot of times, we start to fight against people. We start to wage the war that we're in with people. And the church in general, not just uh, not our church, or you know, just our church, but we've, like I've said, we've, we've done an amazing job of telling the world what, they're, what we're against, and not so good a job of telling the world what we're for and our understanding and, and, and how we see life and how we see this picture and begin to talk to people and just start to recognize, too, that, that, that lost people do lost stuff. I did lost stuff when I was lost. You know, we, I think that we, we, as Christians, need to quit thinking that the world around us should act like they know Jesus and maybe do more of a work to help them to know Jesus and to and to show the world this thing that we've got but we have to remember that we're never we're never against someone else they're deceived possibly maybe they're maybe they're coming against you or me or the church or or marriage or 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 these different things but they're just lost and we need to have compassion for that we need to have we need to have grace for that we need to meet them with kindness. We need to display the nature and the character of God for them and not just come against them and attack them because nobody who gets attacked ever feels very loved. But we've gotta recognize there's a bigger picture that's at play and that we, need, that we are in a battle. And, and think about that. How would you approach going out the door today if you really recognize it as a war zone? as an active war is is happening and people are dying and and, and there's attacks and there's all kinds of things going, would we just kind of like, (laughs) just stroll out the door? We'd be vigilant, wouldn't we? We'd be vigilant, and let me ask you this, it starts out by telling us this, therefore take up the whole armor of God, right? Not three quarters, not half, not a good portion of it, put it all on and i guarantee you if there was a war out there and we had piles of armor and we said look guys before you head out that door put it on we would all be putting it on right if it was if we if we viewed it as that real in our lives the battle as that real we would put on the whole armor we wouldn't be like ah oh, man i don't need that helmet now i'm good i don't need a i don't need any kevlar or anything no no i'm good Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth. You hear this idea, stand, stand, stand firm. What I as a guy wanna hear is take the hill, take the hill, take the hill. That doesn't happen though. What I'm told is to stand firm. And you guys, each and every one of us, we have to recognize that it's Jesus who has won victory on our behalf. It's not us who who has won. We haven't taken ground, we haven't taken the hill. He's taken it for us. But after he's taken these hills in your life, after he has helped you to overcome some things, after he has helped you to defeat some of these things in the spiritual realm, maybe in your own life, you, you gotta stand on that ground. And we've gotta stand in the armor that he's given us. And the first thing that we're gonna look at here is this belt of truth. See, truth is what's at issue right now in the world around us, right? Where we sit as a culture today is the natural progression of, of, of becoming a world that just began to embrace the idea of relativism. That truth is relative that your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and, 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 and it just doesn't really matter. You believe this and that's cool, I believe this, and at the end of the day, it's all fine and good. Sorry, but truth never works that way. And, and I know you, you'll, get, you'll hear my analogies a thousand times, but it doesn't matter. We could all get up on the roof of the church and we could all say whether we believe in gravity or not. And gravity will have exactly the same effect on those who don't believe in gravity than it does with those who believe in gravity if we jump off the roof. See, the nature of truth is never totally inclusive. It's the amazing thing about our faith. As a matter of fact, our faith is inclusive, but we stand on truth that is exclusive. It doesn't agree with other things. It, 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 it says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no, no man comes to the Father but through him. That's it. Jesus had one son to give, and he gave it, and he gave everything when he gave himself on the cross. There was nothing left to give. And there wasn't another way. You see, Jesus asked that question in the garden, if there be another way, maybe this cup could be lifted from me. But there is no other way. And so um, the idea that that there's other ways just isn't in in congruency with God's church. It's not in congruency with, with Christianity. Christianity says that there was just one way that everything was given on our behalf and that the only way to have eternal life is through the the gift that was given to us. I would always pose the question, what would it do to the nature and the character of God if there was another way? If there really was another way, then now what we've gotta do is in our theology, we've gotta say, well, what does that do to the character of God? Think about yourself, if there was another way but one of the ways you decided was like, you're like, you know what, there's these other ways and that's all nice and good and stuff, but one of the ways I'm gonna make is I'm gonna, I'm gonna crush my son. I'm gonna have him die this excruciating, terrible, horrific, shameful death, and I'm, I'm gonna crush him because there might be some folks like you <laughs> that wanna pick that way. See, if this isn't the only way, we've got a real problem with the very nature and the theology that, that we're putting on God from there. See, we don't understand a lot of times that our belief system affects our theology and our theology affects how we act when we go out there because we have to understand that it's truth that we're girded to. We have to stay, and Jesus is truth. He came to testify to truth. And in a Roman centurion's uh, uh, armor, everything that we're gonna look at is gonna come back and it's gonna, it's gonna fix itself to this belt. It's gonna fix itself to this belt of truth. And if the belt of truth isn't there, then armor starts flying off. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, right? It's gonna protect your heart. When we live the right way, when we're doing the right things, when we're living in a manner and in a way that, that that God has called us to do, there's just gonna be a good return to that, and that return is, is righteousness, it's goodness. It's, it's a right return for what God says about how to live and how we do that, and so there's this breastplate of righteousness, and, and when we live that way, it, it protects our heart, and if we choose to not do that and we go against the things of God, there's, there's a bad effect in the heart, and our, our our we're not protected by that breastplate of righteousness, as a matter of fact, it begins to disintegrate us and tear us down, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Sometimes it's it's just small things that have drastic effects and one drastic effect that was the case for the Roman army was the fact that they had sandals. A Roman soldier was required to be able to run 26 26 miles in five hours and he had to do it with all of his stuff on. And the fact that he had sandals made him mobile. It it, it moved him over the ground. It it was a protection for him. you see, and the the idea that we've been called to go, we've been called to display to the world to go out of this place and into the mission field and and to to talk about Jesus and and the difference that he can make in a life, And, and we've been, our feet, so that we can go, are protected by this gospel of peace, that we have peace with God And now other people as well can also have peace with God. And so so this idea of being shod, it's the idea of going and telling, blessed are the feet that bring good news. In addition to taking up the shield of faith with which you have been able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And in a Roman army, see that shield didn't just protect you, it protected the other guy on your left as well. So that was your job, was to, was to keep the guy on your left safe. And, and, and as, you, as they link shields and they move forward and stuff, it's the picture of how the church moves forward. And because there's always things, there's always these attacks, these fiery darts, these arrows that are coming at us. And the thing that's gonna stop it is faith. Faith, truth, feet shod with the gospel. The other thing that that feet shod with the gospel is, it lets us know who we are and what life is about. Because when you know who you are and what life is about, it'll allow you to let go of the ancillary things of life that we keep trying to hold on to, that we keep trying to make too much of, and it'll help us to focus on what life is really about. Take the helmet of salvation, the fact that you've been saved, and let it create a safe space in your mind a place away from anxiety. See, we can live in, the, in this world apart from so much of the anxiety of the world because we understand some things about what God has had to say about this world and about life. We're not just left reeling, wondering what's gonna happen next. As a matter of fact, this book kind of lays out for us at some point, we don't know when necessarily, but there's some interesting events that are gonna take place. And as they take place, it, it, it's something that can protect even our mind. It can help us to, to not live in the same anxiety that the world lives in. The fact that we have peace with God is a protection for our own mind. It's, a, it's an insulator between us and anxiety. So we wanna make sure that we understand the helmet of salvation. And that's something that you're gonna wanna put on. And if you maybe haven't put that on, it's, it's, it's really a simple thing. God just says that, who, you know, that, that if, we, if we ask for this free gift, that he's willing to give it, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And all we have to do is admit that we've been wrong before him, that we did it our own way, believe that that he sent his son to pay the penalty and then follow him, he says. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, it's the only offensive weapon that we're given in this deal. It's it's the idea that, that it's God's word that makes a difference. So we have to know God's word and we have to speak God's word. When Jesus went into the to the wilderness, to be tempted by Satan, it was the word of God that he used as an offensive weapon against Satan. It was the thing that countered all of those attacks was God's word. And so we're called to to know this word, to to live in this word, to trust and to believe that this word that we're speaking isn't just words on a page, but that it goes into a deep place. It penetrates into hearts. It, It goes between soul and spirit, right? That, that it's alive and it's an active word. And so the most powerful thing that we can do is to speak God's word. And then it's kind of funny because we end up stopping there a lot of times with the, with the whole thing about the, the battle and, and armor and stuff. But, but I think that this is a real, this is part of it too because this is, this is how we do battle. This is how we fight as Christians is on our knees with all prayer and petition Pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. To pray. And, and I think that these are some of the challenges for us. Are we, are we prayerful? Are we in God's word? Are we believing the truth that God's word has? Are we picking and choosing? Or do we take it and understand it to be God's inspired word into our lives? Do we, are, 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 we, are we prayerful? Are we doing battle in this heavenly realm? Are we fighting against people or are we recognizing that we need to display grace and, and mercy? but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. When we love him with an incorruptible love, a love that can't be tainted, a love that can't be turned around. But you see, we're going to have to have all of our ducks kind of in a row. We're going to have to have our armor on to, uh, to live in that and to recognize that. And what a beautiful picture of, of just the bigger church that Paul's saying, man, I'm over here and I'm in Rome and I'm in chains, but guess what? I'm sending this guy so that he can comfort you and he can help you. And, and there's just this whole collaboration that's going on in such a bigger picture. It's an amazing thing. I wanna give you some, a summary here of, through, the, through the book. I just tried to go point by point and just write down some stuff that, that Ephesians kinda of revealed to us. So in summary, you are chosen. God has said yes to you. You are redeemed and God has lavished grace upon you. He has made known the mystery of his will to you. Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. You've been given an inheritance. You are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You are God's own possession to the praise of His glory. You are the body of Christ and seated at the right hand of the Father. God, being rich in mercy, made you alive. God has work for you to do. You are brought near through the blood of Christ. He has broken down walls for you. You are now a citizen of heaven, a saint, a member of God's household. Through the church, God is displaying His multifaceted plan and wisdom. You are strengthened through power, through His Spirit. You now know the width, the length, the height, and the depth of God's love. You've been gifted. The church has a ministry to fulfill. Grow up. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You are are reconciled in righteousness and holiness. Speak truth to each other. You are members of one another. Get mad, but don't use it as an excuse to sin. Move from being a taker to becoming a giver. Don't grieve the spirit. Don't have a potty mouth or gossip. Get rid of your bitterness. Be kind, tenderhearted. Forgive each other like Jesus forgave you. Imitate God like a child. Do what daddy does. Walk in love. Make sure no immorality, impurity, or greed can be named among you. Walk out of the darkness and into the light. Shine your flashlight into dark places. Wake up, quit sleeping. It's time to get going. Watch how you walk. Make the most of your time. Don't be controlled by things that will lead to trouble. Be controlled by the spirit. Sing with each other. Let your heart resonate in praise. Your marriage is supposed to display God to the world. Are you doing your part? Hey kids, wanna live a while? Honor your parents. Dads, be careful with your power. Raise your kids to live for Jesus. Despite your circumstances, serve the Lord. God's watching, and he's impartial. We're in a battle. Wear your armor. Stand on the ground Jesus has taken for you. Don't quit praying. Peace, grace, and love on you. So Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you haven't left us alone, but that you've given your, us your word, this word of truth, this word that, that, that reconstructs our minds into a place of understanding, a place of, of knowing you in a deeper place, a place of trust. So, Lord, we just pray over uh, just ourselves individually that we would know that truth, that we would live into that, that we would love you more, that we would display your character, your nature, your love for the world around us by our marriages, by our families, by our church. Lord, help us to, to display that even up into the heavenly realms that, that, uh, that, that we belong to you, that you've redeemed us, that you have taken us from a place where we were and that you have translated us out of a kingdom of darkness and placed us into a kingdom of light. So Lord, we just pray that whatever work you have for us this day, whatever ministry you have for us both individually and as a church, you would make that obvious to us and that Lord, you would move our feet into the direction that you would have us to go, that you would shape our steps up Lord into something that's useful to you, something that builds your kingdom And so, Lord, we just commit ourselves, our church, and all of our being back to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.